Today on Flyover from NPR News, does America still have moral authority in the world? And who cares if we do? I'm Carrie Miller. Of course, all U.S. presidents put America first, but President Trump has been unusually frank in his critiques of the global community, including some longtime American allies. From saber-rattling with North Korea to canceling trade agreements and climate accords, the U.S. is drawing more inward, and that affects our reputation abroad. So here's my question. Does any of that matter in flyover country? Does America's role in the world make a difference to you, to your town, to your identity as an American. Call us at 1-83-FLYOVER-1. We're talking about America as a world leader when flyover starts after this news. I'm Carrie Miller, and this is Flyover from NPR News, a show about who we are in turbulent times. Today, as President Trump leaves for an 11-day trip to Asia this week, we're examining how he represents American ideals and American identity overseas. Not just what the leaders of Japan and China and the other countries he'll go to think about him, but what the citizens of those nations believe about us. What an American president says and does and doesn't say when he's abroad can be influential as to how we the people are seen and understood by the rest of the world. As our guests join us, I'd like you to think about this. Do you think America's moral authority remains an important part of our global identity? Do you as an American believe we are exceptional as our presidents like to tell us that we are. So as we talk about President Trump going overseas, we're talking about how America is seen by the rest of the world, whether we still possess the moral authority that Americans for a long time have taken for granted. And I want to hear from you on this. Do you think America's moral authority remains an important part of our global identity? And do you as an American still believe that we are exceptional as presidents and politicians like to tell us we are. Here's the phone number, 1-833-FLYOVER-1. That's 1-833-596-8371. And on Twitter, I'm at Kerry, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use the hashtag Flyover Radio. John Radson is with us. He's a professor of law at Mitchell Hamlin School of Law and a former assistant counsel at the CIA and with me in the studio. And welcome. It's good to have you here. Very nice to be here, Carrie. Define moral authority for us. I think we got to be on the same wavelength here when we're talking about this. Moral authority to me means whether we set an example. Do we create the values that other people want to adopt? Are we trustworthy? Are we a country that other countries want to emulate? And do you think that other countries invest the same kind of meaning into possessing moral authority as the United States does? Some countries do. Countries that have been great at some point in their history, they want to believe that they are an example. I think this is very much part of the American identity. Whether we are exceptional or not, we'll discuss. But I think it has been part of our government project, our individual project, for us to strive to be exceptional, that we believe we can set uh, high standards for ourselves and attain it. Okay, so I, I see you or hear you distinguishing exceptionalism from moral uh, identity. From uh, And why is that? Why do you see the two as separate but intertwined? I feel that it's it's separate because the the countries around the world can choose whether they want to follow our model. We can decide that we're going to be leaders, that we have something to spread. I think this has been a part of our makeup from the very beginning. We're also a country of immigrants. So we recognize that we learn from the people that come to our place. We view ourselves as part of the world in a way that other countries don't. One other observation is I think other countries spend a lot of time talking about the United States, about their relationship with the United States. What I used to do to disappoint some of my friends are Spain, 
or in France is to say, all this time that you spend obsessing about the United States, I doubt that the average American oh. thinks much about Spain, about France, or other countries. And, and why is that? I mean, does that say something about the fact that Americans are just generally insular? Does it say something about our isolation geographically? What would you say? It says something about all of that. We're a huge continent. We've felt for many years that anybody that was somebody wanted to come here we have the sense of confidence that other people might find brash, overconfident. We don't worry too much about other countries. We have this industry of thinking about countries, cultures, or models that will surpass us, but that hasn't occurred. And I don't think there is a country out there that will surpass us in the components of national power, of the combination of political, economic, military, and cultural values. Think think of the power that our music, our movies have around the world. There, it would be a sign of lack of civilization if you go to a part of the world and they have not heard of a Hollywood store or they don't know how to sing the words to some uh, popular song. John, a minute ago you said you don't think the average American spends that much time thinking about other countries around the world. Should we? Would we be better off if we did? Sure, we would be better off. And the people that tune into this program or your program, that's a more sophisticated part of our audience. But there are many people today that are much more concerned about football than the relationship between the United States and its two neighbors, whether it's Canada and Mexico, or neighbors that are a bit farther away. We hope they've left the game for about an hour to think, listen to Flyover. I think some of those games were <laughs> earlier today. President Trump uh, often uses somewhat dark imagery when he's talking about how he sees the world. And I'm thinking about what he said when he made a speech in Poland this past summer about a West that seemed embattled. At the U.N., there were some really bellicose moments. I, I wonder if he is seen as just projecting his own beliefs or is he seen in other countries, do you think, as projecting something that the that Americans generally believe about the rest of the world? His way of talking about a relationship to the world, to my ears, are it's a different way of talking. It's a retrenchment. It's a gloominess. It's a, a direct uh, retrenchment. And if you compare him to another Republican president, think of the optimism in Reagan coming in after Carter. Right. Reagan talked about being on that hill, of being the example that we may not get involved in foreign conflicts, but we were not going to abandon our role, which was to be a model, to, to tell the world you should do it our way. We, we would have some humility. We can incorporate and learn, but we didn't question our model. Now, Trump, Trump will say that he has faith in American workers and what we're doing here, but I think part of our progress has been this idea that we benefit from the world. We benefit from markets. We benefit from people coming here. We are an international power. And I think it is quite a shift to assert that American interest comes in uh, erecting higher borders, whether it's to the north, to the south, or in our relationship with other countries. Let's take some calls here, John, to the phones to Mona Lisa listening in Columbus, Ohio. Hi, good to have you on the line. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, yes, I just want to tell you that uh, I moved to the United States 20 years ago. Uh, I moved from Indonesia. Mm -hmm. And uh, when I first moved here, I basically only know America on, you know, on a, what's popular based on TVs, movies, you know, like uh, the gentleman just now, you know, mentioned. That's what, that's what I learned about America. But then again, 20 years in here, I learned that. There's so many changes. It was unbelievable change. And I believe a lot of the eyes that watching America, America is getting, uh, I'm not judging anyone, but I believe that our morality is getting a little bit declining. So, now, I voted for President Trump, uh -huh. not because a Republican or conservative. I'm an independent thinker, but I really disappointed with uh, our previous President Obama. And uh, part of it also, my family came from, a, you know, my family is a military family. My, hu my husband, my, my in-laws, and they're they all involved in the military. And, um, you know, I really hope when uh, in, in the next 11 days when uh, Trump visited Indonesia, uh, you know, like Asian, Asian countries, you know, he will have to curb some of his behavior. I agree on that part. I, I have to say, Mona Lisa, I think 
I hear you saying, and John, weigh in here, that she was concerned about the way President Obama positioned the United States and the world. You heard a lot of criticism from Republicans during the Obama administration about how uh, the president might apologize for something or the way he interacted, that we, that he wasn't projecting this position of strength. That's something that Americans, I think, differ on and how we want to be seen by the rest of the world. That strikes me as correct, Kerry. I would say that something that is promising to me in traveling around the world is that I think citizens in other countries are better than we are at distinguishing what our leaders say from what American citizens say. That is to say that Americans are ambassadors when we travel, that they judge us. They'll sometimes say, you, Kerry, you're a good person. Uh, hidden in that is a comparison to Obama or Trump, depending on their point of view. Uh, Mona Lisa talked about being an immigrant. I think it's important to your listeners. They hear my name. I was born in Ohio, but both my parents are from Iran. We have that part of our identity, this rejuvenation that comes from these immigrant groups. I've lived in different parts of the world. I've done some sampling. It's going to be imperfect, but I have that ability to hear what people from other parts of the world say about us. And because I'm a bit browner than you, I can sometimes pretend that I'm more sympathetic. And they will say things that they may hold back in telling you when you travel to South America, to Asia or Africa. Let me grab a call here from Maria in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Hi, Maria. How are you thinking about this? Hey. Hi. Well, I'm, I think we have lost our moral high ground. Um, I happen to have uh, to hold elected office at the local level, mm-hmm. and I have ended up suing um, our state government because of gerrymandering, because of the Republican legislature here trying to um, emulate, you know, the, the national legislature and grab control from the people and um, and. and uh, demand voter ID so that we disenfranchise more people. So as an immigrant, I had really, really high hopes. But now my family in Peru, in Spain, in Canada, in Germany, we all immigrated. And they're saying, see, you should have come here. You should have come here. Mm. Um, It's not a democracy anymore. And it's just so sad. I appreciate the call, Maria, um, and glad you're listening here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. You're listening to Flyover. It's a conversation about who we are in turbulent times, and it's a discussion today as President Trump gets ready to leave on an 11-day trip to Asia. We're talking about... Um, how the American identity is seen abroad and how a president shapes that international perception. Because, of course, depending on what a president says abroad, he's got a wide audience. Judgments aren't just being made about the president. They're also being made about we the people. We're talking about whether America still has moral authority in the world, how much that matters. I want to hear from you on that. one flyover one That's one 596 8371 Talk to me about it on Twitter. It's at Carrie NPR. Hashtag Flyover Radio. I know not every public radio station can play our program live, but we do want to hear from you. Join our conversations on Twitter. Use the hashtag Flyover Radio. What topics would you like us to take up in a future show? You can leave us a message at one flyover one You're listening to Flyover from NPR News. I'm Carrie Miller, and you're listening to Flyover Radio. It's a show about who we are in turbulent times. Looking to hear from you wherever you are today in Flyover Country. President Trump getting ready to leave on an 11-day trip to Asia. And we're talking today about whether America's moral authority remains an important part of 
who we are in the world, an important part of our global identity. I want to know if you believe as an American that we remain exceptional in the world, as our presidents and our politicians like to tell us. John Radson is with us today. He's a professor of law at Mitchell Hamlin School of Law and a former assistant counsel at the CIA. And David Kong is going to be joining us in just a couple of minutes. He's an expert on Korean studies at the University of Southern California. John, I'm going to go right back to the phones here and take a call from Lily in Cincinnati, Ohio, to Lily. Hi, Lily. Thanks so much for waiting. Hi there. Tell me what um, you're thinking about this. Yeah, sure. Um, so I've traveled a lot, uh, especially in Europe and maybe some more, I guess the word would be first world countries. And I feel that almost America has a reputation for being almost puritanical in our beliefs. I know that's kind of a strong word, uh-huh. but um, in terms of things like abortion and gay rights, I think a lot of those things are almost non-issues elsewhere. And I think Trump emboldening some of those more conservative values is almost just like confirming suspicions that people have had for years and just like have accepted. So I don't even think it's an exception anymore. I think it's almost just confirmation. I think this is a really interesting view, Lily, because, John, I think there there is a part of the world that would see us as quite permissive. And then I think she's right. There's a part of the world that looks back to our founders and thinks that we hang on to a lot of the of those puritanical values. It depends on what part of the world we're talking about. That's your point and that's your caller's point. I'd like to broaden the conversation away from Trump. When you use this term of moral authority or American exceptionalism, I think to myself, when were our high points? And two periods in American history come to mind. One is after our founding, our constitution. That was a progressive way of organizing a relationship between citizens and their government. I don't know that our Constitution is viewed as the most progressive Constitution around the world these days. We have fallen behind in the way that we govern. The other time of moral authority was after World War II. We sent American men, and it was mainly men, to risk their lives to fight for values, to fight for international values, decency, democracy. We put our blood on battlefields in Europe and in Asia. And I think if you went around the world at that time, in the late 40s and 50s, and asked people, what do you think about Americans, the response would have been overwhelmingly positive. Now, what are some of the negative views that we have from people about Americans? And I have the positive, but I'll leave with the negative. One is that we don't pay enough respect to old people, our elders. The other is that we are loud, and this has been uh, hinted by some of your callers, that we're vulgar, that we don't listen. The third is that we don't appreciate aesthetics. I had a French person tell me, look at the difference between uh, the way a French kid approaches an apple. And he said, even try to get an American kid to look at an apple <laughs> or to eat an apple. So they don't have this relationship. These are kind to, of the intangibles that the you're intangibles talking about here, to, but, but they're important perceptions. Uh, those perceptions. The, the other one is more direct. They think that we are driven by money. They think that we consume, that we're all about pleasure and that we're an over-sexualized society. And I think for many countries, the overwhelming majority think that we have this obsession with guns, that they view us as something straight out of one of the Westerns that they've seen. Now, we take pride. We think guns are part of protecting individuals, but that puts us in the minority. They, they don't get it that we have so many guns in this country. John, do you, do you think that presidents still feel... Um, the weight of going overseas and explaining American ideals and values to the rest of the world or in an age of global and instant communication, is that no longer necessary? I mean, I think of the way that John Kennedy went to Germany to say, this is who we are and this is who you are. And 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 there are some commonalities there. Do we need that anymore? Yes, we need it. Why? We, we don't see it. In President Trump, we need it for that soft power that you're talking about. Take Kennedy's speech, compare it to Obama's speech that he made in Cairo. This is a person that thought about our role in the world. It was a sophisticated speech. That sophistication turned off people in the United States. Trump, he appeals to some people because he doesn't feel any need to explain. He travels. He's like those people going to the hotel. They want everyone to speak English. (laughs) If they have their dollars, they think that everybody needs to jump. And there are many parts of the world that don't want to jump. They don't like that. 
uh, I think, a more subtle approach, the listening, the explaining, that would be more effective. But I don't think those are the attributes that Trump had. Those are not the attributes that got him this far. So how do you tell him to turn off the attributes that got him elected president of the United States of America? Let's bring David Kong into the conversation now. He's an expert on Korean studies at the University of Southern California, and he's the author of America and Grand Strategy in East Asian Security in the 21st Century. He's with us from L.A. David, good to have you on the show. Welcome. Thanks for having me. I'd really be interested in your your view of what we've what John Radson and I have just talked about, where there was a time when presidents had to go overseas to explain who we are and, you know, those commonalities that we might have with the rest of the world. John says presidents still do have to do that. Do you think they do? Yeah, absolutely. And I think in some ways the uh, problem that people have is not that we don't have very clear values. We actually do. We stand for democracy and human rights and equality. People criticize us when we don't live up to them. You know what? And they should. So in many ways, I don't have a problem with uh, the criticism that comes to Americans. We should be held to a high standard. Let me grab a call here from Justin in Durham, North Carolina. Hi, Justin. Thanks so much for waiting. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Tell me what you're thinking about as you listen to this discussion. Um, so this is in regards to the moral authority question. Right. As a black American whose people have been here for many generations, it's hard for me, from my perspective, from my perspective to understand how America has any moral authority to begin with. How so? Um, your, first, your first guest mentioned two points when, when he said that he thought that America had a moral authority. The first was in the signing of the Constitution, when my, my people were enslaved by those same people who signed the Constitution at that moment. And after World War II, my, my grandfather, who was a World War II veteran, mm-hmm. was there fighting overseas. And when he came back to the United States, back to South Carolina, he was still treated as a second-class citizen. And so those, those kinds of ideas are about people who are Americans not about how we see our how we see ourselves overseas and how other people see us. I am an American, and I have never grown up with the idea that America had any moral authority simply because of my own background. I'm really glad you heard the show because David, um, John, and I talked about the idea of American exceptionalism too at the beginning of the show. I I hear our caller right there pushing back on the idea of exceptionalism. Where does it where does it fit in with this sense that we have that America possesses this special moral authority. Absolutely. And I think what your caller uh, mentioned is is right. We started out with some very clear values. And as, as I tell to my uh, undergraduates, all men are created equal. Well, it started out just men, right, and certain types of men, white men. The debate over what equality means and what free speech means and what democracy means will never be resolved. But where we are today is better than where it was 200 years ago. And as I said before, this is a debate that's going on, and it's, it's a time that people should criticize us if we don't live up to it. John? Carrie, I'd like to put, push back on Justin's idea, and I agree that Justin's critique is on the money. I like Justin because he's from Durham, and that houses Duke University. <laughs> and it is Your a alma skirt. mater, yes? My alma mater. Okay. Uh, slavery is a scourge on this country. We continue to work out the complications. And by saying that, I don't mean to minimize it. We also have to then ask ourselves, how open are we to people from other groups, other religions, other colors? And this is a surprising factor in the analysis about the United States, is that many people credit us for how open we are. We are one of those countries where immigrants want to arrive to. They believe putting their lives on the line that there is opportunity. There may be prejudice here, but this is a country of opportunity for people of all colors, all religions, that they can make it. There are still obstacles, that's for sure. And your first caller talked about the disparity between what we see in the movies, what we hear in the speeches, and from what uh, goes on day to day in the United States. And I think all of us, we have this responsibility to live up to those ideals of the founders. I, I don't think anybody is going to criticize those words. We'll make the amendment that David's talking about, that it's all people are created equal. But the example that they set, even with their 
imperfections in their record, significant imperfections, slaveholding Washington, slaveholding Jefferson, what they talked about, those principles are inspiring, and I think that they should motivate us. Matthew called from uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, Nevada, to say the moral authority has never really been there until we get to the serious issues like race and sexism. We like to puff up our chests and talk about how great we are on Twitter here. American exceptionalism and moral authority is a myth. The last 50 years show it. To Tashard listening in Columbus, Ohio. Tashard, thanks. I, I know it's been a while. I really appreciate you waiting. What did you want to say to this? Wow. Uh, thanks for having me on. Sure. Uh, I'm a senior at Ohio State. And honestly, like, I would think that the uh, middle before the United States is kind of like a bygone term. Like, it was absolutely necessary after World War II with the other speakers talking about given that we took the values like the front of the world, but then after that, it's just kind of gone away because you look the last 17 years, you look at George W. Bush going up to the UN in 2003 and buying the world and saying that Saddam Hussein had yellow kicks we needed to invade. Uh-huh. And then we had the Iraq War, 5,000 Americans died, $3 trillion were spent. And then you look at what Obama did with trying to reinstate like American values abroad, you know, really salient that comparison is going to like Israel, the, the whaling wall. You look at what President Obama wrote there, and then you look at what President Trump wrote there. Mm-hmm. President Obama wrote and spoke to the institutions about how this is a reminder against hate and how our children's children should be able to understand this. And then President Trump just wrote, what a great honor to be here with us. Right. So, like, you get more authority in that question, and you see how our elected leaders act, and it's kind of fading away. I, I, I think you raised to Chardon, to you, David, on this, the complexity, right, of the alliances that the United States makes for all kinds of reasons, including self-interest, and what that means to this sense of moral authority that we like to think we have. What, what would you say to that? Well, one of the ways that I put this is when we talk about America's position in the world and do we still have it, the question is really, in some ways, do we have a vision and a set of values that other countries want to emulate? Mm -hmm. And secondly, when we worry about us declining, one of the questions is who else could possibly replace us? And there, I think you see how much we take for granted in terms of American values, right? China just went through a 19th uh, uh, party Congress. Right. Uh, Does China have any chance to actually set the moral tone for the entire world? I think that they're, they're way away from having the kind of stature that the United States has. Many of the institutions around the world, again, whether it's uh, human rights, uh, democracy, equality, capitalism, these are things that people take for granted. And I'm not saying, like I said, we don't do it very well, but people expect us to try. And when you think about who else might replace us, I think it becomes more stark or clear about at least what we stand for, even if we don't always live up to it. David, do you get the sense, given what the, the, the nature of that speech by the Chinese leader, that, that they see a vacuum in this idea of moral authority, global leader, and, and they see China poised to step into that? Sure. I think Xi Jinping is very proud of what China's accomplished, and they should be. Where China's come over the last 50 years is incredible in terms of its economic growth and its, and its uh, progress as a, as a country. But the real question is, can, could a China or a Russia or any of these other countries put forth a set of values that's different from what America is doing? It's easy to buy in. Right. Mm -hmm. Are they really going to articulate a different set of values in which free speech should be crushed, in which we shouldn't be able to have uh, the free flow of ideas? No matter what happens in the United States, the debate is over where that line in free speech is. It's nowhere near what happens if you try to go to China right now. You're listening to Flyover. It's a conversation about American identity in turbulent times. And today we're taking a look on the eve of President uh, Trump's 11 day trip overseas going to Asia for a, a long stretch with a lot of meetings of leaders of different countries, we're asking, does he, how does he carry the American ideal, this sense of who America is overseas? For a long time, we've believed that the United States occupies a special place of moral authority in the world. That's what this conversation is about today, asking you today whether you think that America's moral authority 
remains an important part of our identity in the world. And do you, as Americans, have long believed, also believe that, or still believe, maybe I should say, that we are exceptional in the world? one eight three fly over one That's one 596 8371 And on Twitter, at Carrie, K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R, hashtag flyover radio. John Ratson is considering this question with me today. He's a professor of law at Mitchell Hamlin School of Law here in the Twin Cities. And David Kong is with us from the University of Southern California, where he's an expert on Korean studies. To the phones, to Braden, listening in Boise, Idaho. Braden, how do do you consider this question? Hey, yeah. Uh, Thanks so much for taking my call. I really appreciate your show and just NPR so much. Thank you. Uh, You'll have to... (laughs) Uh, I apologize. I'm a little under the weather. You have to forgive me, but um, I I really really like your question. It's it's really a question I don't think kind of like your your, your guest said. En- enough Americans consider um, on a day to day basis. I I personally don't believe kind of like your last two um, phone guests have said um, that we ever really had a moral authority or, or exception or have been kind of the exception. Um, because it's, I mean, yeah, for, for obvious reasons, really. And, and like, I, I think that people, I think that countries are, you know, we're all, we're all the same. We're all, we're all, you know, really the same. And um, so, so that, that question, it's really interesting and kind of goes, goes really deep. And, um, okay. Yeah, and I, yeah, I appreciate you taking my my call. Yeah, Braden, when I hear you say um, countries are all the same, John, I think this raises the question of whether many, many different countries believe that does does the leader of France believe that France has some kind of special moral authority in the world? I think he might argue. How about Canada in the in the place that they occupy in the world? I mean, does Braden have a point here about how different countries see themselves as leading with moral authority? Yes, he has a point. I don't believe there's any leader from any country that has the claim that our leader does, whether it's Trump, Obama, or the next president. Really? Why? For our attributes. And I think uh, Braden from Boise is reminding us of one of the positive attributes of the American spirit. I won't call it American exceptionalism. I'll even pivot from Asia back to Europe. The American experiment begins with a break with Europe. Europe was the old world. This became the new world. What is it that is appealing about the American spirit? One, I would say, is the space, the room that we have. We still have open areas in this country. Think about Idaho, where your caller uh, came from. Think about Wyoming, Montana. Think about the optimism that is part of the American spirit, that even if you identify problems, we still believe we can solve them. You're listening to Fly Over the Conversation continues one eight three flyover one and on Twitter hashtag flyover radio. If you appreciate hearing voices from across flyover country, check out some of our past episodes at flyoverradio.org or on our podcast. We've talked about guns and religion, health care, and whether it's still possible to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And you can help others find us by leaving a review of our podcast. You're listening to Flyover from NPR News. I'm Carrie Miller, and you're listening to Flyover. It's a conversation today about American moral authority, this idea of exceptionalism on the eve of a trip, an international trip that President Trump is taking. He leaves on Friday for an 11-day trip to Asia. Uh, John Radson with us here, David Kong with us. David, um, before we go back to the phones here, I, I want to I mentioned in the introduction that what presidents don't say can be just as important as what they do say. And I'm thinking of and I think this was brought up by one of our callers. I'm thinking of the fact that President Trump did not speak publicly about human rights when he was in Saudi Arabia. Does the omission sometimes speak as loudly about American values as as what a president will say on a trip like this? 
Of course. And that's why everybody parses what the president says and what he doesn't say. And is he going to affirm the uh, NATO alliance? And what's he going to say about North Korea and China and trade and everything else? So I think in a lot of ways, you know, one reason that we look at what presidents do is their, their focal points, their leaders, and what they say has a tremendous impact. So everything they do is, is parsed, especially by countries around the world that they visit. Call here from Brian in San Diego, California. Hey, Brian. Hi. Good to have you hey. on the line. What are you thinking about as you listen to this? Oh, my gosh. I'm speaking to my sister at the radio at, at this, and I'm <laughs> really fired up about this. Good. Um, does America have a moral authority in the, in the world? Yes, I believe we absolutely do. And I think that moral authority, you know, was hit on the head when uh, the gentleman was talking earlier about, you know, who could replace us. Um, you know, I think that's a very powerful statement, you know, you know, with our human rights and, you know, what we try and do in the world. I think we as Americans uh, fundamentally have a place in this world to make it better. Um, are we perfect? No. Do we have our, you know, our dark history of skeletons in the closet? I think we do. But I think the part that's the, the uh, I'd say the greatest thing about being America is that we push ourselves to make those things better. Not that we try and you know, hide them or do anything else, but we try and push to make ourselves better and make the world better and, and help other people rise up out of the, you know, out of the dregs of where they are. So, Brian, um, I, I just want to ask you, when you say we push ourselves to make things better in a I mean, you see that in an altruistic way, the way we operate on on the world stage. Yes, I do. I mean, we you know, World War Two is a perfect example. You know, we sent people over there to die. I mean, I'm a veteran myself, so I you know, have a self a sense of selfless service that I try and I try and live by, mm-hmm. you know, we do more for other, ourselves. You know, you look at Katrina, you look at all these different, uh, I mean, not Katrina, but, you know, the recent hurricanes, natural disasters, um, you know, Haiti, you know, all these countries, we push to even help countries that aren't even ours. We, you know, have a place on this world stage to push and do better, not just necessarily always think about ourselves, but to help others. And I think that is a, a powerful thing that other countries don't necessarily do as much as we do, or maybe maybe that's just my personal thinking as, you know, as an individual. But, you know, that was my impression of being an American is, you know, we yeah. push ourselves to do better. Really, really good. I'm glad you heard the show and really good to have your view. John, what do you hear in that? I am with Brian, and I think we need more callers and fewer intellectuals <laughs> talking about this topic. Something that I don't like about intellectuals, they get... Lost in they, nuance. you mean we, right? We, <laughs> we talk about multilateralism, and what gets lost is this notion of patriotism, that we're a good country, we can be better, we do things around the world, sometimes for our self-interest, but also to help other people. And I think that is appealing to many people about Trump, that they don't question his patriotism. And connect him to Teddy Roosevelt. Roosevelt asserted this American role. It was more appealing when it was a young country. We're trying to get on the international stage. There seems to be a malaise in the United States where people want to apologize about being assertive on the international stage. Trump does not share that malaise. He wears those hats. He has the flag. And when he chants USA, I think it comes through very sincerely. So, David, what do you hear when you hear the president say American first and and chants USA? What does that demonstrate to you? Well, you know, the interesting thing about Trump is, in many ways, I think we miss the point. He's more flamboyant than most presidents, but most of his actions has not been, uh, have not been actually that different. And it, we're coming up on a year now, and this trip is going to be fascinating precisely for that reason. In other words, uh, much of the talk about what he was going to do with China and 45% tariffs and from day one a currency manipulator, almost everyone who knows about the economic relationship said that would be a bad idea. He hasn't done it. He has he has been trying to negotiate with China over a bunch of issues, particularly North Korea and trade. Uh, but his actions have been actually much more within the realm of what other presidents do as well. So I am still waiting to see if he's really different or not or whether it's just style. Uh, Robert says on Twitter, most Americans don't demand evidence to support their beliefs. Leaders say American is great. The, uh, the population agrees with that. To Naweed in Minneapolis. Hi, thank you so much for waiting. What are you thinking about here? Yeah. Hey, I just wanted to give my personal story to that thing. It's good. To the American exceptionalism. Um, I'm actually, I recently became a citizen and I came from Afghanistan back in 2009. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that actually 
changed my life was actually Americans' involvement, uh, America's involvement in Afghanistan. Uh-huh. And this was back in uh, 2001, whenever the United States came to Afghanistan. Uh, around that time, none of us in Afghanistan had access to TV, media, or anything like that to see what was happening outside of there. What the United States did was actually they came in. You know, some people might say that that was for self-interest, but for a lot of people, a lot of the generation that I grew up in, we were all into agreement that we actually, the United States came in because they saw it as their moral authority, that, you know, things were going wrong in Afghanistan, and then they came in to help out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that changed your life, Nawid? That, that's how you ended up uh, over here in the United States? Uh, yes. So, I I mean, it was because of the United States that there was an international school in Afghanistan. It was oh. an international school of Kabul, which later got closed down. But I had an idea of what America was before any other country. So we went from a country where, like, it was literally like North Korea of today. And I was educated because of the United States' involvement. So we could label it, whether it's exceptionalism, whether it's self-interest, whatever it might be, but at the end of the day, that country benefited from it. I'm really glad to have your call, Naweed. Thank you so much. I'm going to go to Britta in Raleigh, North Carolina. Hi, Britta. You're considering this question? What what are you coming up with? Hello. Uh, Thanks for having me on the call. I kind of see the area more as gray than black and white. So I think of America as a moral authority, not necessarily the moral authority. Good. Um, I think since its inception... They present a lot of, America's present a lot of great ideas in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But um, on the fall, I think a lot of other countries have done exceptionally well at following through on them. John, what are you hearing that? Yes, we are a moral authority. I want to push back and say we are still the moral authority. I'll personalize it. My father finished medical school in Iran. He did not want to stay in Iran. He saw many problems. For him, it was a sweepstakes. He's picking a country where he's going to go and work hard. He's the same person that drive, and he is convinced, and I think the data bear him out, that he would not have been as successful in any other of these countries. As much as they want to tout their qualities, whether it's Canada, France, the United Kingdom, he would not have had the opportunities that he had here. And I think if we go and compare it to Obama, whose father came as an immigrant to this country, that if Obama, with all his talent and drive, if he had been born in a different country, in Europe or in Asia, if he had been born in Indonesia, there is no way that he would have risen to the top of the country. I recognize all the faults. But I think you need immigrants to remind you of how much opportunity still exists in this country. That's why people are trying to get here to participate in this. I think we need to maintain these open borders. And it's good for this society. We're a society that was built with people that said, I don't like it in this other place. I can make it here. Luckily, today we're hearing from a lot of first and second generation Americans. So I hear you on that perspective. David, I wanted to ask you about something that the Pew Research Center found when they asked people around the world last summer about global trust in America. They saw a decline. And interestingly, they saw a decline among many of our allies, Canada, Europe, Asia, the place where President Trump is going. I wonder if you think that's because President Trump is disrupting the usual order of diplomacy and international relationships, or is something else going on there that we should pay attention to? Well, I think what's really interesting about the Pew polls are they plummeted under George Bush and the war on terror in the early 2000s. They went back up under Obama and now they're back down again. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think this has as much to do with the individual leaders and the issues uh, that they are pursuing uh, than it does any over general trend with the United States. In many ways, I think the U.S. remains uh, like, again, I don't see any real peer competitor who could challenge us in terms of our moral authority. But what the presidents do has a huge impact. And so I think there's a tremendous amount of concern around the world about what is Trump going to do? And as I've said, uh, just said a couple of minutes ago, so far the the rhetoric is so flamboyant that we focus on it. But so far his actions have not uh, been nearly as uh, disruptive. 
You're listening to Flyover, and if you've just gotten in on the conversation, it's a discussion taking note of the fact that President Trump will leave for a 11-day trip to Asia on Friday. We're asking about those ideals and those values, those American ideals and values that the president carries overseas, how he is seen, what he is saying is seen by not just the leaders that he's going to meet with, but by the, the citizens of these countries that he'll be in, and whether America still occupies that place of special moral authority, some kind of exceptionalism. It's something that we like to think is imbued in the idea of America. We're asking our guests about that. I'm asking you about that, whether it matters that America still has moral authority as part of our global identity, this idea of exceptionalism. How much does it matter to you about the way other countries see the United States? Uh, we're getting some a lot of calls here when if you get a busy signal, call us back. It's one eight three flyover one. I want to let you know you can get to me on Twitter. It's at Carrie NPR hashtag flyover radio to Chris listening in Grinnell, Iowa. Hi, Chris. Thank you for waiting. What are you thinking about? Well, uh, I would say our image around the world is definitely tarnished. We've had exceptional people and we've had morally fine people. Uh, but now we worry about terrorists all the time and to many other countries in the world, we're the terrorists because we're the ones who fly in and bomb their country mm-hmm. and give it a wreck. And I think Donald Trump is kind of the personification of the ugly American. I hate to think of him going around the world visiting other countries. John, this is something, Chris is echoing something that you said earlier in the show, which is, and I think this is something David has talked about too, is the persona overwhelming what he's actually there to do and to carry out, right? David is correct in saying maybe we're paying too much attention to the style. Maybe I shouldn't be providing anecdotes about American tourists, that we should put that aside and look at the core of what we're doing around the world. And we're still waiting to see how different it is. Let let me throw one anecdote and I'll keep it brief. I was traveling in France. I helped an old man on the train put his bag up there. He didn't realize right away that I was an American. He turned out to be about a 70-year-old anarchist. He found out that I was American. He said, I don't like Americans. I don't like your country. I then turned it around, and everybody in the train car was listening to our conversation with my French. And I said, you're right. But what happened, France used to view itself as an important country. You used to view yourselves as an alternative to this American imperialism. Instead, what you're doing is aping American culture. You're adopting our values. If we're going to have an alternative, where is it going to come from? I agree with David. It's not going to be China. It's not going to be Russia. Maybe Europe needs to reassert itself. And what I enjoyed about that moment is that the place went silent because I was telling the French they needed to be better and they needed to be more. French. <laughs> David, um, I don't know if you heard John talk. I think you did. You heard John yeah. talking about his father coming mm-hmm. from Iran and having a choice. You have a family history that's not all that dissimilar, although from a different place, right? That's right. <laughs> it, it, My father yeah. escaped from communist North Korea and uh, won a scholarship funded by the uh, some uh, like the daughters of the uh, like wives auxiliary of the U.S. military at the time in the 1950s. Some mm. Christian group or the military funded him to be one of 10 Koreans to go to graduate school. So uh, in many ways, we're totally aware of like what an immense opportunity this country holds. Uh, and also then what what makes it great. And I mean, I sound like a real flag waver, but the truth is that we can criticize our country so much is a true sign of strength. And it is not possible to do in many places around the world. And that is an enormous opportunity that we have. And it's one of the things that makes us a great country. You know, I think of a moment where you get John's father and your father into a room together and they talk about this idea (laughs) of American ideals and whether they are more forgiving in some ways than we are you should have had, because of the experience. You should have had them should on the show. Should we have had the dads on? And <laughs> they, they would not have allowed you to even put these questions forward. And not the sons. <laughs> well, so what do you think? Would your dad react the way John says his dad would, David? 
what what my father says is having grown up in a small country and a big country and then having moved to a big country, mm-hmm. he can see both sides, right? He knows what it's like to be a small country that's constantly worried about what the larger countries are going to do. And lots of times large countries, the United States, other big ones, do things for their own self-interest. Of course they do. Uh, but he also knows what it's like to be a large country. And when we talk about the United States, part of the responsibility of being a leader is the bar is higher. That's what it means to be a leader. Uh-huh. Of course the bar should be higher. Mm-hmm. You don't get the same pass that you would get if you are a France or a Sweden, who can be great moral authorities but are not going to be leaders the same way. So the task for the United States is higher. It's harder. And it should be. Let me grab a call here from Patrick, listening in Conway, Arkansas. Patrick, I only have a couple minutes, but I wanted to hear what you had to say. How are you thinking about this? Okay. Uh, Well, I'm just thinking uh, that our president, uh, well, any president of any other country would probably resent us trying to force our morals onto them. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that President Trump represents only about half of the people in the United States, and that's loosely because uh, not everybody really, even Republicans, don't agree with President Trump, just like all the Democrats didn't agree with President Obama. Right. So I think when it's all said and done, uh, their willingness to bend to our morality is based, like uh, the gentleman just said, it's uh, more of their pecuniary gain than anything. If uh, we shove a bunch of dollars that way, I think they'd be more willing to listen to what we have to say. But um, if we don't, and they really couldn't care less, I don't think. Yeah, you, you know, David, Patrick, forgive me for cutting you off, but I've heard something interesting there. And David, I think when Patrick says, this is the tension in a president going overseas, right, to say we are a shining example of human rights or whatever the values that the president wants to talk about and how uncomfortable that is for leaders to have to listen to that. There's been tension around that for a long time on, uh, on the global stage. Absolutely. Right. And that's that's part of the again, the process of leadership or setting setting a bar or whatever else. Right. George Bush was criticized for going to China during the Olympics in 2008. But he made a good point, which is in this case, I'd rather work with China and against them. And so you learn, you know, it's not all uh, you know, forcing people to do things or just, you know, yelling at people. There's, that's what diplomacy is all about is give and take. David, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming to us today from L.A. Really good to Thanks have you. Thank me. you. John, thank you. Good thank to have you. you in the studio today. Flyover, our producers are Marquita Fornoff, Elizabeth Shockman, and Jeff Jones. Our technical director is Veronica Rodriguez. Joffrey Wilson composed our theme music. Thank you for listening to Flyover from NPR News. And I know we didn't get to a lot of your calls. You can continue to talk to me about it on Twitter. It's at Carrie. K-E-R-R-I-M-P-R. Use the hashtag flyoverradio.